Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We're mixing it up a little bit this week. We're going to do some recruiting on a Tuesday. So our Trojan Blast recruiting, recruiting podcast with, of course, Gerard Martinez, National Recruiting Analyst for USCFootball.com. You can follow him on Twitter at GMartLive. So talk some recruiting today. A lot of your questions to get to. We want to talk some rising stars, the opening, a big announcement coming up for USC potentially. So lots of stuff to there. If you have any questions or comments, a lot of ways you can get a hold of us. Email is the easiest, podcast at uscfootball.com. You can leave us a voicemail, call 206-888-6755. Leave a brief voicemail there or call the or go to our website. You don't call it, but you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right from your computer. It's a lot of ways to get a hold of us, and we do love to hear from you. Thanks very much for tuning in, and without further ado, let's bring in Gerard Martinez. What's up, Gerard? How you doing? I'm doing good. Running on fumes just a little bit. Uh, we're getting to the end of the camp season here with the opening kind of being the grand finale, but uh, having Rising Stars camp just last week and then the skills camp and obviously covering various seven-on-seven tournaments. It's been a very long summer, so, uh, you know, kind of looking forward to the opening being sort of that uh, the end of, uh, you know, the kind of the light at the end of the tunnel, I guess, for uh, the camp season. And then, you know, a couple couple weeks and all of a sudden we're going to be talking about fall camp and we'll get right into that that's because there's never an off season gerard it just keeps going on and on and you'd cover it better than anyone and before we get into the questions and talking about the different camps i just wanted to thank our sponsor for the tuesday podcast michael moline real estate so if you're in southern california he definitely can help you out if you have any any real estate interest he's based in beverly hills but does stuff all over the southland so check him out he's a proud trojan true trojan he actually helps out usc and the in the press boxing games, doing stats for the team. So we're going to have someone from his group on the podcast down the road at a later date. But you can go to michaelmolinerealestate.com, uh, or you can give him a call at 310-275-4688, and he would appreciate it. We would appreciate it. So if you need some real estate stuff, you can go to Michael Moline, and he will help you out. And uh, Gerard, wanted to talk first, I guess, about the Rising Stars camp, the biggest news of the camp, not being offers or anything like that really being about that it's open again. And I got to talk to Brandon Huffman afterwards. We did an instant analysis. And, um, I mean, he talked about before, you know, we're going to talk about the opening a little bit. Before the opening was the opening, really Rising Stars camp was kind of like the opening because there just wasn't a national camp like this. And Pete Carroll sort of turned it into one. And uh, we saw a little bit of that coming back in this last installment. Now that it was open again, there was media there. We could take photos and video. Uh, but it, it seemed like more of that national camp feel again. Yeah, I mean, I don't think if it ever really went away for USC, obviously we, the media, went away there for four years not being able to cover it. Uh, they had brought you know, some kids in from national various corners of the universe, 
you know, recruiting from Florida and recruiting from uh, Ohio, New Jersey, and bringing some kids in in previous years. I think this year was probably one of the top years altogether in terms of uh, the amount of top players they brought in, um, not just locally but from out of state. And, and really it was that Wednesday morning session where it was just stacked with players uh, at just about every position, and you kind of had your head on a swivel trying to keep an eye on everybody and try to see, you know, the, the competition. And the great thing about Rising Stars, which is unique to a lot of camps, is that they actually go full team 11-on-11. 11 11. Uh, you don't see that very much in no pads. And so you got linemen going against each other. You've got the running backs there. They actually run the ball, um, you know, out of that 11-on-11 11 11 drill. So we got to see USC commit you know, for the 2000, 2017 class, Stephen Carr. Uh, we got to see him go uh, step for step, you know, with uh, sharing carries basically with Najee Harris, uh, the 6'2", 220-pound running back that's committed to Alabama from Antioch, California. He was there for both days of Rising Stars. And really what happened is a lot of guys came in on that Wednesday. They performed that Wednesday, specifically that morning session. And then Thursday they really just hung out with the USC coaches and just hung out uh, with some of the current players on campus. So for USC it was, you know, get them in early, get the evaluation done early, and then have some of these top players just kind of hang around and enjoy campus and kind of get a relationship built with the coaching staff. So you had guys like Jordan Elliott, Keyshawn Camp, the two big defensive linemen, uh, along with Antoine Jackson, uh, another defensive lineman, four-star from Cedar Grove, Georgia. Uh, they came in. They were there for the you know the whole two days, but really it was the second day. They were just kind of hanging out and not really doing much. Really became more about the recruiting, selling the school side of things for USC. So it was definitely a, a big, a big week for USC. Obviously, you get three commits uh, off the heels of the camp. One of those commits. Uh, Carrie Angeline, the 6'7", 240-pound uh, tight end from Exton, uh, Pennsylvania, Downington East, which is in your hood, Ryan, where you're, it you is. know, the, 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 the area you're uh, from, uh, a guy that kind of committed out of nowhere, shocked a lot of people. He wasn't at Rising Stars, but was one of those three commits that they had, the two other guys, uh, Amari Rogers, the 2017 wide receiver from Knoxville, the son of T. Martin. Uh, he committed. He was the first, actually, to commit. And then it was kind of uh, sandwiched with Angeline and then Keyshawn Camp, who kind of surprised people, I think, in terms of when he commit. USC. I think a lot of people thought he would go back to Florida, you know, probably start to narrow it down at the beginning of the season, but not really make a commitment until later on in the year. And he decided to just pull the trigger. He told me uh, actually that Thursday, you know, he was basically going to make it a, a top three with USC, UCLA and Oregon and decided to make it a top one and basically commit to USC uh, when he got home on uh, that uh, Friday or Saturday. I can't remember. It's all kind of a blur at this point. <laughs> um, but another guy, you know, 6'3", 275, 280-pound defensive tackle, uh, big-time out-of-state tackle that, um, you know, obviously USC's had to recruit more out-of-state with the defensive tackles in this 2016 class just because locally there's not a ton of names. Um, so it was a big week for USC just in terms of getting guys on campus, evaluating uh, some of this young talent in the 2017 class, but then obviously being able to, uh, to to recruit some of these guys and get them on campus and you know let them see Los Angeles, and it obviously worked out well for them. Yeah, and then tons of coverage uh, from the Rising Stars camp, and we got I know we got more video than anybody at USCFootball.com, so check it out. We put up a bunch of videos from Rising Stars. We still have a bunch more to go. So individual videos, you can see the specific player you're interested in checking out, and you, you can do that, of course, on uscfootball.com. So check through all of that stuff. And then for the opening, we're going to do something similar. We'll have a lot of video. We'll have a lot of coverage. Uh, that's going to start. Gerard will be up there on July 6th. I'll be up there July 
seventh, but tons of USA targets again this year, Gerard. And we'll try to do a podcast from up there. I know it's a kind of a crazy time and stuff, but we'll do another recruiting podcast up there. Just uh, looking forward to, you know, head on a swivel, trying to check out all the USC commits and prospects up there. That's going to be a long, long list. I'm almost dreading writing the preview for the opening this year because, I mean, it's like 80 guys that are guys that have USC scholarships that are legitimate players in the 2016 and 2017 class that are guys that might officially visit USC. So it's going to be a long, long list of guys uh, that we have to kind of keep our head on a swivel with. And, um, you know, obviously with, with Rising Stars, it was it was good to sort of get an initial look at guys like Nigel Knott, you know, from Mississippi, four-star guy from Starksville that we never seen before. Got to see him at Rising Stars. We'll see him again at the opening. It was players like that that you kind of get your eyeball on and you can kind of see and kind of know, okay, you know, what type of player are, are they? And, and, and going into the opening, it sort of gives us, from an evaluation standpoint, a little bit of a, a base, a little bit of a, you know, a foundation to kind of sort of build opinions on it you don't want to build an entire opinion based on you know a kid running around for two hours at a camp it just it's not smart a lot of people do it and it's just the business type of thing it's like oh my gosh you know this guy's the greatest player i've seen in the world or he's terrible and it's just these very sweeping generalizations and, and these evaluations that get made from camps where you know guys are not even in pads so the more times we can see a player and just sort of watch him uh, from a nuanced standpoint it, it definitely helps us out and so that's a big deal with rising stars i mean not only were we able to get video and photos and analysis and interviews or, or at least not interviews on campus unfortunately they still don't let us do that but we obviously got a bunch of updates after uh, the camp and broke a bunch of news and got a bunch of stuff out there. So it's great to get that, but it also just gives us a footing leading into the opening as to who to watch and who to kind of keep an eye out for. And maybe some of the players that are legitimately interested in USC because they came out on their own dime. I think the important thing to point out between rising stars and the opening, the opening Nike is flying all those guys out for free. So those guys, they mean, you know, nobody's turning down that trip. You know, to be able to go to Nike headquarters, hang out with a bunch of NFL players, uh, you know, a bunch of kind of like, you know, athletic stars that are under Nike contracts that they have come in and, and they talk to the kids and they hang out with the kids and it's, you know, it's a great time. So it's all expense paid for and kids love it. It's called football heaven for a reason. With USC, USC is not allowed to pay for those kids to come out. Those kids have to come out on their own dime. They have to go with their coaches, their families, etc. So, it's a little bit of a difference, you know, when you've got a kid coming all the way out to Los Angeles from Mississippi or from Florida or from Texas, you realize that their interest level is pretty high. You know, they're, they're legitimately interested in the school. They're paying money to come out to see the school. So that sort of separates, you know, kind of the pretenders from the contenders when it comes to, you know, signing day and, and who's really going to be looking at USC seriously and who just wants to basically window shop and take a free visit. Uh, some other big news coming up is uh, one of my favorite kids that I've seen over for the class of 2017. A lot of kids. I like a lot of the kids in this. But this one, this guy was just really fun to kind of watch at these seven-on-seven tournaments. Uh, Thomas Graham, uh, Inland Empire guy out of your neck of the woods, 2017. He's a ground zero player and going to make his announcement uh, Wednesday evening. So maybe talk about him and that announcement a little bit. Yeah, Thomas Graham is one of those kids that got a scholarship offer from the 2017 class uh, after the Rising Stars camp and really was one of those things that, you know, leading up to that Rising Stars camp, there was some question as to whether he was going to attend or not. And coming out 
of the May evaluation period, he basically told us, you know, I want to make a decision late May, early June. And obviously that kind of came before Rising Stars, which is in late June. Uh, so, you know, I think he talked about it with his family. I think USC did a, a good job of kind of forwarding, you know, the importance of showing up to the camp. And, and they really wanted to see him in person and not just from a, a football standpoint, but I think they just sort of wanted to be around him, kind of see what kind of kid he was. Um, you know, kind of throw some challenges maybe at him on the field and kind of quiz him a little bit off the field and kind of see what he was about. They got to see him in person. They got to talk to him. And after that morning session of the Rising Stars camp, he got that scholarship offer. Um, I, I think that's all she wrote. You know, I, he's a guy that has dreamed about going to USC. His sister, Jasmine, uh, is going to run track for USC uh, next fall. She's, um, you know, one of the top sprinters in the nation when it comes to the hurdles. Uh, so she's a tremendous athlete herself. So they've dreamed about going to the same college together. Uh, the family is all very pro-USC. Um, Arizona State is there. You know, he's actually originally from Arizona. Uh, Thomas himself was born in Arizona. The family moved back to California. Um, so it's one of those things that, you know, there's, there's, there's some other schools that are there. UCLA offered him early on. And a lot of people felt like he would go to UCLA if he didn't have that USC offer. But I think now with that USC offer in tow, um, the Trojans are going to be very tough to beat. It would be a shock, I think, to everybody uh, if he didn't pick USC Wednesday. All right. Uh, well, that kind of takes care of the housekeeping stuff. Let's uh, let's jump into some of these questions. We got a bunch of questions. You cool? You up for that, Gerard? I'm cool with that. He's cool with that. Isn't that a song? I think <laughs> some rap song. I think from not a song in my generation. No, it's not. All right. Well, let's go. One of our favorites, JD from DC. Uh, Gerard, in your otherwise exemplary and thorough update on recruiting today, you did not mention Michael Pittman. The recent UCLA decommit, who apparently is taking an official to USC in the near future, where do we stand with him? And also with Juarez and uh, Iosefa, will they stick with USC along with Hayes? And do you think we're done with linebacker recruiting in 2016? Or Toaloa or Kelly, would they want in? Uh, with uh, Michael Pittman, he wasn't at the Rising Stars camp. Um, he actually took an unofficial visit to USC earlier in the week and then took an unofficial visit to Oregon. And so I want to say that weekend before I think he was up in Oregon, he announced that he will be making a commitment on July 4th, which everyone in the recruiting industry was really happy to hear because everybody wants to work on the 4th of July at this point in the year. Um, <laughs> you know, early on, it really, it was all signs of where he's going to Oregon. He's going to Oregon. Heard that from everybody. Some pretty good sources that, Basically said, yeah, you know, USC, they did a good job on his unofficial visit. Marcus Tuiasopo's made up a lot of ground. He's a very good recruiter. But Oregon's sort of just that superficial dream school, and he just really likes Oregon. He's going to commit to Oregon. Uh, Greg Big has actually just reported earlier today on the Peristyle that perhaps USC actually may have made up a lot of ground and enough ground that he may end up at USC. Um, the interesting thing with Michael Pittman, 6'4", 205 pounds, is where he plays in college. Uh, he's basically an athlete right now, ready to scout. Uh, he's a guy that plays a lot of receiver. USC has been recruiting him as a receiver 
But I think it's interesting to note that during the May evaluation period, T. Martin wasn't the coach that went up and visited him. And USC really, from a recruiting standpoint, they don't really recruit by area anymore. They really recruit by position. So Tui Asasopo is the guy that's kind of his lead recruiter. It is his area, but like I said before, area isn't really the priority for USC when they're recruiting. It tends to be you know, the position coach that is making the relationship and the contact uh, with the player the most. And so you have to look at the tight end position as him being a potential tight end. Um, as a linebacker, there's some potential there as well. He does sort of fit that mold as a 6'4", 205-pound uh, athlete right now. Uh, certainly, you know, with his dad being Michael Pittman Sr., who played running back with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, He's a guy that, you know, just muscular, big, thick guy. And you could imagine that while Michael Pittman Jr. has a little more height, he can grow in and put on that weight to be a guy that could easily be 235 as a linebacker in college. We just haven't seen it from him. We haven't seen him play linebacker, haven't seen him play near the line of scrimmage in terms of his physicality. There's a lot of question marks there as to whether he would be able to fit that role or not. Uh, Oregon is recruiting him basically as an athlete for defense. Like I said before, USC has been recruiting him as a receiver, but it's kind of interesting to note who's actually recruiting him on the staff and sort of who he has a relationship with. So at this point, it looks like maybe USC is back in it. Maybe he does commit to USC. I kind of have to check some more sources, kind of see how that's going. It's it's interesting how, you know, it's sort of shifted. And, you know, the source right now that's kind of, I think, pushing, uh, you know, maybe the, the notion that USC is actually the team to beat is a little more of a USC source um, that, that Greg Biggins has talked to. So, uh, you know, you're always trying to weigh and check and balance and try to figure out, you know, who's saying what and, and 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 how good that information is based on kind of their perspective on things. Um, so you know we'll continue to see how it plays out. But obviously, you know USC's done a heck of a job, and, and Marcus Tuiasosopo has been a heck of a recruiter for USC. Uh, I mean, getting Kerry Angeline was, and like I said before, it shocked everybody. It was a stunner. It was up there in the ballpark of Michael Morgan committing to USC. Now Michael Morgan had actually gone through the process, and at that point eliminated all schools, but I think Texas A&M, Florida State, and maybe there was Oklahoma in there, or there was another school, and USC was nowhere to be found in any interview with him, and he wasn't a guy that did a lot of interviews either, so, you know, it wasn't like necessarily every week somebody had an interview about him talking about the schools that he was interested in, and USC wasn't in there, but there was enough there that Basically, he didn't talk about USC, and USC wasn't considered to be, you know, a finalist for him. And then all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, he commits to USC on Fox Sports Southwest. Uh, with Kerry Angeline, similar in that he never eliminated USC, and USC was thought to be a school that he was interested in. He did take an unofficial visit to USC for the spring game in April. Uh, but everybody thought that he was going to Notre Dame, and if he wasn't going to Notre Dame, he was going to Penn State and maybe Michigan, but USC wasn't one of those schools that was thought to be uh, really a top contender for him. So that surprised people. I think it surprised USC to some extent too. So if you can get a guy like Kerry Angeline uh, out of Pennsylvania um, as a commit, you know, maybe you know you can get a guy like Michael Pittman who at one point seemed like he was going to go to Oregon and Oregon was going to be a done deal and you know, maybe that unofficial visit, they've made up enough ground for him. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, J.D. Let's go to John. Just, K- a, wait, just to interject also, to because to, oh. there was kind of a follow-up question there with uh, Caleb Kelly awesome. and um, uh, Lokani Toiloa, the two inside linebackers, or at least, you know, Caleb Kelly, I think, is, I think he's rated by scout as an outside linebacker. 
he's a guy that I see has to play inside or he's got to be more of a rush end. Uh, Lakini Toiloa is a Mike linebacker. Uh, neither of those guys, I think, at this point are being recruited by USC. I think USC's moved on. I think Jordan Asefa uh, basically took that spot uh, from Lakini, and USC's pretty happy with him. He was at the Rising Stars camp. Um, played well, but, you know, linebackers, it, it, it's sort of hard to really get a good view on how good they are just because of the limit the amount of limited contact there is. And, and you know, even in, in sort of those space drills where you would get one-on-one drills, we didn't see that a lot in Rising Stars. We didn't see much running back versus um, linebacker in coverage drills. We saw on team, but, you know, like I said before, our head's on a swivel when you've got 11 guys versus 11 guys out there. You're sort of trying to follow the whole flow of things. It's It's hard to just stop and go, okay, let me look at this guy. And if you just stop and look at that guy, that's one play out of how many reps is he getting. So we didn't get to see that, you know, sort of Nike camp breakdown, okay, we're going to have Najee Harris versus Jordan Iosefa and see how he does in coverage to at least get that aspect of an evaluation down. There really wasn't those drills. Uh, it was more footwork drills and things like that where those guys look good. I'd say Damon Hayes kind of stuck out the most as far as the linebackers that were there. Um, you know, Bryson Young played pretty well. He was a guy that played a little outside linebacker, and USC ended up moving him inside, and actually he ended up playing nose guard at one point, which is very odd because he's 6'5", 220 pounds. Certainly doesn't have the size necessarily to be a nose guard, but they moved him around, played him at various positions, and uh, so that was kind of interesting to see. But I think, you know, as far as Kelly and Toy Loa go, I think that ship has sailed. All right. Uh, let's go to John. He says, it looks like there will be plenty of sophomores and juniors starting at almost every position group this upcoming season. I assume the majority of these guys will be back for their, for next season and looking ahead to 2016. Uh, it is safe to say that this team is going to be stacked with both talent and experience at nearly every position, except for the defensive line. There are five rotating redshirt seniors on the DL, all of whom are expected to contribute heavily this season and all of whom will obviously be gone next season is it cause for concern that come 2016 the only returning players on the d-line will be kenny bigelow and a bunch of freshmen how do you think this will affect us when we play alabama uh knowing that they always have one of the top offensive units offensive line units in the country and is there a chance that coach sark might try to recruit junior college defensive linemen like we did with morgan breslin and claude Pilon? are there any jc defensive linemen that are looked at as possibilities i'm guessing gerard is best suited to answer this question, thanks from John. Uh, well, I, the, the first thing is those players that are freshmen will be sophomores if they play this year. So, yeah, they may be younger players. They'll obviously be underclassmen, but USC has a pretty good group there uh, that will be sophomores and redshirt freshmen. I think they definitely want to get some of these guys on the field as freshmen. They want to get them experience. Um, you, you sort of want to get those guys just – uh, just ready for the wars and, and the physicality, I think, of college football. It's one of those things that that's a big jump for them coming from high school. So I don't know if we're going to see a bunch of true, uh, bunch of redshirt freshmen in the 2016 opener. I, I think we'll see some, and then we'll see a couple guys that actually do get run uh, this season on the defensive line. In terms of junior college prospects, they actually held the junior college camp. I was there for it, uh, watched it. There was a couple guys that looked like they were pretty good players. Uh, no offers came from the camp. Um, you know, obviously with junior college players, the, the thing that you don't get to see on the field is what their grades are like. And that's always a big question in terms of eligibility, in terms of credits. Um, you know, where are they and, and, and can they get out qualified? 
there wasn't a ton of big names there. There weren't a bunch of guys there that uh, that sort of stood out immediately as, oh, okay, that's the guy that would be an offer guy. Um, it, it was a solid group, but it was definitely a group that uh, I think USC just wants to watch. Is it possible that they take a junior college defensive tackle? Certainly. I think that's the one position that you want to take a player at. But there just haven't been a lot of scholarship offers really put out there uh, this offseason. We thought in May – you know, maybe USC would go out there into Kansas and maybe, you know, even Texas or Mississippi, uh, out of state. You always know there's going to be some guys that, uh, that are, that are bounce backs academically that end up at the junior colleges in, in, in the Hawkeye League. You got, uh, the Jayhawk League, excuse me. You got, you know, the Kansas schools that always seem to produce a few guys. But this year, uh, they went through that evaluation period and we just didn't hear much in terms of names that were popping up of guys that they were recruiting and, uh, guys that were, you know, at the top of the list. It's also one of those things that maybe there are some guys that they've circled, but they just don't want to talk about a lot, and they really don't want on the radar until they can kind of see what happens uh, with this this freshman class, see if there's any guys that are outliers that come in and really make a splash as freshmen, and also just kind of sit on them, keep them low uh, key until they can kind of figure out what the grade situation is like. And Because you really need to see what these kids do in the, in the classroom during the summer, where they end up. That's another thing with junior college players is that it's hard to kind of keep track of where they are because they do bounce around a little bit. You'll get a guy who may be at a junior college one year, and all of a sudden, boom, he jumps to another junior college. And that means you got to get transcripts from two, two different junior colleges. So I think all of that sort of means, you know, maybe at the beginning of the season, they start to kind of look at some guys uh, that they've circled, and, and maybe they go on a guy. Um, it, it makes sense from the standpoint of getting some – initial experience in there, physicality, uh, a guy that can kind of come in and just from a physical standpoint, you know, play against the Alabama and, and, and be a guy that can make an impact. But at the same time, you know, maybe they just want to sort of grow it from the ground up and, and bring in those high school kids. And they should be in a pretty good class, I think, in 2016 with high school kids. Uh, as long as they have that good season, they're able to kind of, you know, um, finish like they basically started this offseason with recruiting guys like Keyshawn Camp, Jordan Elliott, the 6'4", 300-pound defensive tackle, who's currently committed to Houston. I think he's a guy that USC still has a very good shot at. We'll see what happens with Antoine Jackson, uh, the defensive uh, tackle, who actually played nose guard at Rising Stars. He was a guy that coming in really looked like South Carolina and Auburn were the team to beat uh, for him. I think USC is going to have to work a little harder to be able to get in, you know, with his recruitment. And um, it's possible, though. You know, obviously Chris Wilson did a heck of a job as a defensive line coach just populating the camp with top players, uh, not only locally but nationally. So they've obviously got enough pull to get guys on campus unofficially. We'll see if they can follow up officially, and then you might be able to make a good run in January with a good season and sign some of these guys and maybe – you know, it's all about the high school guys and just growing them, redshirting them, getting them bigger, and, you know, have them actually be the guys that, well, maybe not going to come to fruition against Alabama that quickly, but later down the line, uh, you get more eligibility with guys who are going to be bigger impact players for you long term. Uh, let's go to Paul in Vegas, Gerard. He says, is our new 2017 commit Amari Rogers in the mold of Marshawn Lynch? I would love to have that blend of running back. And just so people know, you can check out, we have an analysis video that has highlights from Rising Stars and from some of his high school tape up on uscfootball.com right now where Gerard and I give commentary in it. But we'll, we'll let Gerard talk about that. Rapid fire answer, no. He is not like Marshawn Lynch in, at all. <laughs> uh, Stephen Carr, the other uh, running back commit, and I say other because really Amari Rogers is listed as a receiver. He played mostly receiver. Uh, at the Rising Stars camp, they did put him in motion a little bit out of the backfield and caught some passes, but he's really a receiver first. Uh, but, you know, we talked about in the analysis piece 
how he's one of those guys that sort of blurs the line a little bit between receiver and running back because he does play running back in high school, plays almost you know exclusively running back, quite frankly, um, catches the ball out of the backfield, but most of uh, his carries and, and most of the formations he's in, he's the deep guy as a tailback out of either pistol or out of the shotgun. Uh, for USC, he sort of fits that ut- utility player athlete uh, tag like a Dory Jackson or maybe even a Dominic Davis. We'll see how USC uses him. Elkie Stovall is another guy that they've got committed in the 2016 class. 5885 pounds, a guy that really wants to sort of play out of the slot, but you, know, you watch him in high school, he plays running back. So certainly USC will use him in both aspects of the game. I think you're going to see the same with Amari Rogers. So he's not the big, you know, turning the field with his just his powerful, aggressive style of running like Marshawn Lynch. Obviously, Marshawn Lynch is a unique player, but uh, style-wise, he's not that. Stephen Carr might be more like that. He's a little more aggressive. We even saw him at Rising Stars in comparison with Najee Harris, who certainly has the size and is a is a big guy that you would see being you know more of maybe of a power back at 6'2", 220 pounds. Really style-wise, he's a little more of a slasher than Stephen Carr. Stephen Carr is a little more of a one-cut, get-up-field type guy, um, but does have a good you know, good lateral quickness. He does get around the edge well. When there's a little bit of penetration, he can kind of move laterally to get away from contact. And so we saw a little bit of that as well. And you see that on film. Uh, so if there's anybody that's anywhere in the same comparison as uh, a guy like Marshawn Lynch, it would probably be more Stephen Carr, although I certainly wouldn't necessarily bring him up as the guy that I would say, okay, yeah, that's certainly uh, the best comparison you can make for him. So, yeah, Marshawn Lynch, um, you know, I don't know if he's out there this this uh, in the 2017 class or even in the 2016 class. You're really looking for a guy that's just uh, that. Just, you're looking for beast mode. You know, you're looking for that crazy. I'm going to attack the line of scrimmage and just run people over and run through them and you know those high stepping type of really turning type of legs that he has. He's a very aggressive style. I haven't seen that here yet in the 2017 class or 2016. All right. Uh, let's go to Jay and Ukaipa. He actually wrote in for me or Dan, but since it's a recruiting question, I figured we ask you, Gerard. Um, he says, what do you think about Matt Fink as a quarterback prospect? Watching the highlight video you posted from Rising Stars, he looks to have a really long windup when he throws, and his arm didn't look overly impressive. Just wanted to hear from someone who has seen him in person. Thanks, Jay and Ukaipa. He was okay. You know, he was uh, among the better players there at Rising Stars. Uh, we saw him at the Steve Clarkson Trendsetters camp earlier in the year at Coronado. And, again, he was okay. He was he was good. He wasn't bad. He wasn't great. Uh, he doesn't have the best arm, and certainly in that setting, that sort of stands out to you more than anything else. I think, you know, there's not a lot to be seen from his athleticism, you know, running the football uh, they did do some quick little, you know, play action, throwing the ball, and you kind of see how USC is trying to develop their offense. And they really wanted to see, I think, how he played within that offense. Could he fit the system? And I think he did a decent job there. Um, the accuracy, you know, hit and miss a little bit. He did sort of lay some passes out there, and I think, again, that's the arm strength. that He doesn't put a ton of zip on the ball. Um, but, you know, is that going to be a huge issue with USC trying to kind of exploit the quick passing game where – you know, the option of the quarterback uh, with Cody Kessler has a lot to do with the, the passing game or handing the ball off. It's not necessarily Cody Kessler running the ball. It's him handing the ball off to the running back or keeping the ball and throwing that quick little zip pass over to, you know, the bubble 
uh, screen receiver or the, or the receiver that's coming in zip motion across uh, the, the formation, that's really kind of the option for him. So they use that a lot in the Rising Stars camp with Matt Fink and with uh, Tuya Tagaloa uh, and, and those kind of guys where they were sort of using various quick passing methods and not a ton of downfield vertical threat type stuff. And certainly that plays more to Matt Fink's strengths. He's not a guy that's just going to chuck it downfield and, uh, you know, spin the ball and, and put it on the money. He's a little more of a guy that, you know, you want to use the, the intermediate passing game and you want him to be able to run. And, and again, we didn't get to see him run a whole lot. And that's a big aspect of his game that, um, you have to keep in mind. You have to just keep in the back of your mind that there's certain plays there where, you know, maybe he wouldn't have thrown the ball. Maybe he would have just tucked it and be able to run for 15 yards. Um, so, you know, like I said, he was fair. He was, he was, he was good in some situations and, eh, and others. Uh, but, um, yeah, is he, you know, the Matt Barkley, you know, Army All-American, big time, five star, this, that, and the other type, you know, quarterback in this class for USC? No, you know, he's going to have to be a guy that sort of works in the system and develops within the system. And we'll see how he basically competes against other guys in other classes. You know, whether it be Kate Martell coming in in 2017 or a guy that they've already got there in Sam Darnold or Ricky Town or possibly even, uh, you know, Max Brown, who will be there for at least a year while Matt Fink's on campus. Uh, Hayden wants to know, uh, is there a relationship between, uh, Juju Smith, uh, Iman Biggie Marshall and Jack Jones or Jack Jack? Are they all buddies? It seems like Biggie and Juju are. But that Jack Jack seems to want to do do his own thing away from them slash USC. Love the new format. Keep up the good work as we move into the sports dead period of summer. From Hayden, there's no dead period, Hayden. It's 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 real busy for us in the summer. I don't know about everybody else. Yeah, there's there's a technical dead period, but I you know you still get guys that commit during that point. Uh, so yeah, recruiting never really ends, uh, and I don't ever take vacations because of it. Uh, but with Jack Jack, I think actually he's probably closer with Biggie Marshall. Um, at least at this point in his career than Biggie was actually with Juju. Um, Biggie and Juju were not really that close at Long Beach Poly. And, um, it's interesting, you know, now they are close and they're running around together and, you know, we've seen them pop up at camps and, uh, you know, they were together at the B2G camp because they're both B2G alums. Um, so, I mean, they're definitely, you know, getting along with each other and kind of sort of two peas in a pod. But Juju's sort of that guy in general. I mean, Juju gets along with everybody. Juju's around with linemen. I mean, you, you'll see him around campus with everybody. And he's just that kind of dude that um, he's very social. And it, it's interesting, though, because I, I will say this. He has opened up a lot more at USC than he was at Poly. He, he's always sort of been kind of a social guy, had a big group, had a big following, Team Juju. Uh, even at Long Beach Poly, but that was more friends and family. Whereas now he's sort of just become the everybody's friend. You know, he's become a real leader at USC. I and mean, we've seen him in the off-season workouts, running around with that hideous uh, rugby hat thing that we see in seven on seven sometimes. And I almost refuse to take pictures of kids because it looks so goofy. Uh, but you know, he's got that hat on, and it's almost like a beacon for the rest of the team. Like he's going to be the leader. And he's going to, you know, kind of be that guy that everybody looks to because he can't help it because he's got that silly red hat on. And so he's become that guy. And I think, you know, obviously he, he knows Iman and Iman have his relationship with him. So that kind of just is natural. Uh, but with Jack Jack, yeah, Jack Jack and, and Biggie have actually are, 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 are fairly close. I mean, they're not, you know, best friends and, and, um, 
you know, or inseparable or anything to that nature. But I think certainly enough so that, you know, during the seven on seven tournament that USC had a few weeks ago, uh, Jack Jack was, was hanging around with Juju and Big E quite a bit. And I think, um, that's, that's a positive for USC. It's certainly not one of those things that's going to hurt USC at all. And, uh, I think USC still the team to be for Jack Jones. All right. Uh, here's an interesting question. It says, uh, this is from Chris in Moore Park. Coaches get the opportunity to see high school recruits perform during the season, during the spring, and at camps. There are plenty of opportunities to put eyes on players and evaluate them. However, the recent situation with Daniel Immortorbebe, hope I said that right, uh, potentially transferring from Florida got me thinking, how do the coaches evaluate a transfer like Daniel? He was a red shirt, so he didn't play last year. Actually, he just came in. As a, he was a true freshman. He came in for the spring, so he didn't. He was in high school last year. He didn't play at, at Florida. Correct. Uh, but, He's part of the 2015 class. Yeah. So any game film on him would be at least two years old, and there are no off-season opportunities to evaluate kids from other schools. So the question is, how do coaches decide whether a kid like this is good enough to warrant a scholarship spot, and are there any chances for them to see him work out? So this 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 question is specifically a little bit different because uh, Daniel. Uh, was in high school last year, but I think it's a, a good general question. Yeah, the premise is wrong, so it kind of tilts the question a little bit. Um, you know, he, so so any film you see on him last year in high school, him being in high school, it's not two years, it's basically one year. And so we haven't seen him at Florida, not because he wasn't a good player, but just because he'd just gotten into Florida and only been there uh, just for the spring, um, the, the, the spring session and spring ball. Uh, as an early enrollee, he did not play in the spring game for Florida uh, because he was hurt in an undisclosed injury. So we didn't get to see him there. Um, in terms of practices, yeah, I haven't really heard much yay or nay on, you know, what kind of impact he made, if he was a guy that really looked like a guy or not, if there was guys in front of him and he just wasn't going to play. Really hard to say. I mean, I, you know, some true freshmen, you get to really see them uh, in spring football. Obviously, I think with USC, it's a different situation because, I mean, shoot, you know, you've got no, no scholarship players there for spring ball, so the freshmen are going to play a lot, and you're probably going to have more of an opinion of them. That may not be true in Florida. So uh, from that standpoint, yeah, we can't really evaluate as to how good he was or whether, you know, him not playing a whole lot in spring ball would mean that, you know, they shouldn't get him. I think with USC, it really came down to they just don't have – a lot of certainty with the tight end position right now. Um, you, you could end up with an overflow of tight ends if, you know, Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick ends up back, which it looks like he's going to be back, um, and we still don't know what's going to happen with Bryce Dixon. Um, if he manages to slip back into USC, then all of a sudden you've gone from ha- having any tight ends to having a pretty good core of tight ends there with Tyler, Taylor McNamara coming in as a blue shirt, um, and then you're going to have Emetor Bebe, who has to sit out this year as yeah. a transfer uh, but we'll be a guy that's still there on scout team. And, and we discussed this kind of ad nauseum before. There's a lot of value in that. Having Division One players on your scout team cannot be dismissed. It's something that I think has hurt USC during the sanctions as much as anything when you've got your first team defense or excuse me, your first team offense or defense going against guys that are walk-ons and just clearly not Division One level players because you're prepping for for Division One players. I mean, you got to go play on Saturdays against Oregon, against Washington, against UCLA and Arizona State. These are some pretty good teams that you're playing against, and when you don't get to practice against that speed and that size, 
And, you know, it's tough to step on the field Saturday and say you're really prepared. So when you get a guy that is a legitimate Division One player, and we know what Daniel and Tobarbebe, and this is something that, you know, we kind of had the story for a while and had to sit on it and just wait for it to be official. And truth be told, it's still not official. You know, we had heard that USC was sort of him and Han as to whether they really wanted to bring him in and, and, and spend a blue shirt on him. Because, again, it's taking away from the 2017 class. Um, or excuse me, the 2016 class, because he's a 2015 guy. So you're basically, you know, pushing that scholarship ahead one class. So now all of a sudden you're dealing with 21 scholarships in the 2016 class instead of the 22. So that we heard from various sources that USC wasn't 100% with. And we still haven't seen the official USC, you know, okay, yes, he's been admitted and he's going to USC. Um, press release yet we knew from daniel talking to him weeks and weeks ago uh that he he was he was all set to go to usc he wanted to go to usc that was the school that he felt like was going to be the school that he could really make an impact with with the depth chart his brother josh and baby was committed to usc uh his family wants to move back to orange county they're originally from southern california so it all lined up and it all made sense so that's fine, but you know USC also has to agree to that and say, okay, yeah, we have a scholarship uh, waiting for you. So maybe that doesn't happen right away just because he's going to be a blue shirt and he can't actually um, be on campus until fall camp starts. And so we've seen that a little bit with the blue shirts. USC cannot officially announce anything with them right. because they can't sign. So that's probably the official issue with him. Um, you know, there'd be no press release and everything. At least that's what we can presume. Um, but again, there was that point in time where it seemed a little bit, uh, up in the air as to whether, you know, USC was ready to go ahead and, and put that blue shirt on him. Um, and, but that's all about the value of, of whether you want to waste the blue shirt or not. Um, is he good enough as a player, kind of flat out, you know, talent wise? USC didn't offer him a scholarship, uh, when he was recruited out of high school. Um, but USC also wasn't in the position they are now with tight ends with so much uncertainty. Um, and, and, again, you're looking at how many scholarship players you have on the roster, what you get out of it from a scout team standpoint. Um, this is all – these are all little attributes and all parts of the equations, variables that you've got to put in there and, and basically at the end of the day look at it and say, okay, is it better to have a guy – maybe he's not – Terry Angeline. Maybe he's not a guy like uh, Devin Asiasi or a top guy that we would offer out of high school, but seeing that we can get him in now and seeing that he can help us immediately with the scout team, uh, looking at how he may grow and how he may develop as a player, and, you know, we got his brother, who's a pretty good recruit out of Georgia who's committed, you know, that maybe helps in the locker room too. You know, you got good kids. They're, they're both very good students. You know, it all sort of makes sense a little bit as to why USC may see value in there um, above just, hey, we got a guy that's going to be a great player for us right now, which would be, you know, a, a, a guy that you would sign straight out of high school who would blue shirt. Okay, uh, we got a couple more. Terry and had a couple. Um, we'll do the second one first. Instead, what are your thoughts relative to the early signing period proposal that was just put off for another year? Would it benefit USC? It would not benefit USC because USC is one of those few schools that can get kids to flip in January. Uh, USC has a good year. They're picking and choosing who they want to recruit, and you don't want to take talent off the table. You know, you don't want somebody in that cycle to be basically committed early and completely off the table where you don't get a shot at recruiting them. Uh, other schools, smaller schools, certainly, if they can grab a guy early 
and get you know him offered and maybe not a lot of other schools have seen him so he doesn't have a lot of other scholarships maybe you can convince him to be an early signee and it basically takes him off the board and he's not a, a guy that you can recruit anymore so from USC's perspective certainly I think that uh, it's a bad thing and I think the bigger schools um, Alabama, Texas, those type of schools would probably all agree with that. Um, me personally, what do I think about it? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of back and forth on it. I mean, to some extent, I, I just feel like we're reporting on offers and commitments now, and it's it's almost just sort of, I don't know, it, it's not very accurate to call guys commitments uh, verbally when, you know, they're, they're talking about taking visits, you know, the same day that they've committed. It's, just a, it's basically saying it's a reserve uh, it's a reservation, you know, is, is basically what it is, you know, and, and reservation is not something that you're necessarily um, committed to. It's just something that, you know, you get a reservation for a restaurant. Well, we're reserving that, but you may get more than one reservation. You may get, you may call three restaurants and say, well, we'll see what we feel like, but we just want to make sure we have a spot in case we want it there at, uh, at all these restaurants so we have some choice. That's basically what the recruits are doing it. So, Verbal commitments are reservations anymore, and it's almost something that I think us as writers, we have to sort of change the lingo and change how we describe these things because commitment, by definition, is not accurate anymore as to, you know, what's going on. And obviously with the early signing period, it would, it would, it would maybe filter out a little bit of that. It would weed out the guys that are like, oh yeah, I'm committed, I'm solid, I'm 100% USC, I'm not taking any visits. Okay, well then go ahead and sign. And if they don't want to sign, then you go, okay. You know shenanigans. <laughs> you're yeah. not. You're not really that solid. You, there's. You're not ready to sign. And we've kind of weeded you out as one of those guys that is talking the talk. But when you know December, January rolls around, and you've got schools calling you saying, "Hey, why don't you come out to Miami? Hey, why don't you come out to Ohio State?" They're you know on the first plane. So I like that aspect of it. Just as a writer, I think it brings maybe a little more clarity to the guys that are 100% from the guys that are just saying they're 100%. Uh, but, you know, who's really going to sign? Who, who are those guys who are really going to sign early? The quarterbacks? I guess so. You know, and those guys tend to be early enrollees, so they're not necessarily guys that are going to be, you know, signing day guys anyway. So um, I, I guess it just would depend on how it's implemented. And there's a lot of nuances to it that obviously would, would, would affect my thinking on it. But um, there's an argument for it and there's an argument against it. But I can tell you from USC's perspective, from a coaching perspective, having having talked to a number of coaches uh, and, and big time programs, I think the big time programs are against it. And then he had a second one. Uh, what would you say are the top five non committed recruits that USC has a good shot at filling one half of the remaining ten spots? I think he's talking about the class of 2016. Yeah, that's uh, that's like a good uh, Bleacher Report slideshow that we could do. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Slide. The top five recruits with dreads uh, on USC's boards. Um, I, I think for USC, uh, yeah, I gotta think of the top five guys. It's it, it's difficult, but if you're kind of interjecting that uh, variable of USC's interest and 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 the interest in USC, that sort of you know, you're not just talking about the top five guys on their board talent wise. We're talking about guys that uh, are serious about USC at least. Right now, from what we can tell, I would say obviously Jackie Jones would be at the top of that list uh, as a cornerback. I think he's a guy that's very serious about USC, and I think he's one of those guys that um, definitely sort of penciled in as a as a as a cornerback in the class for USC um, that they would take, you know, no questions asked. So I think he's definitely at the top of the list. Um, I think Lamar Jackson is probably up there too as a safety. Oh. USC doesn't have any 
safety commits right now. We know that they're going to need some safeties. He's a guy 6'3", 210 pounds from uh, Elk Grove, Franklin High School, uh, a different kind of safety than USC's really recruited in the past couple of years. Um, a guy that was at the skills camp, played okay. He wasn't great at the skills camp. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops physically. He doesn't want to hear about people talking about him as an outside linebacker, uh, but certainly he's a big boy, and it's um, a different game nowadays, I think, than the Pete Carroll safeties that uh, they used to recruit for that 4-3 under they ran. You know, you've got so many teams running sort of that spread, air raid, or even the spread option from a running standpoint like Oregon you want guys who can play in space and get up and, and, and kind of guard those slot receivers, uh, whether it's going to be a run uh, where you got to come up and give run support or it's going to be a pass. you got to guard those guys. So USC's kind of gotten smaller at safety, and, and really it was more about, quote-unquote, just getting cover guys. Lamar Jackson's a little more old, old school, kind of get up the line of scrimmage and, and be a brute a little bit with his size. Uh, but I think he's definitely one of those guys that's up there. Um, I think Devin Asiasi is a jumbo athlete just in general, is a guy that's going to be up there as a, as, a, as a top five, you know, top eight type guy. Obviously, we question whether he's going to play tight end in college at 6'5", 270 pounds. Uh, if USC gets a Michael Pittman or they get another obvious tight end prospect, maybe it causes a little bit of a riffle with, you know, USC. Right now, I think USC is clearly the team to beat. I don't think Kerry Angeling's commitment affects that. Uh, but, you know, if you start to get more guys that can play tight end and then the roster starts to fill out with guys like, you know, Cole Fitzpatrick and maybe even a Bryce Dixon coming back, then you kind of have to look at that because Devin Asiasi definitely wants to play tight end. But at 6'5", 270, he could end up being a really, really good defensive end. So, I mean, I just think as a jumbo athlete, he's in that top five because you don't find many guys with that size and who are nimble and just as heavy-handed as he is. Um Trevon Sidney is another guy that we've been very, very impressed with. I think uh, this offseason you've got Tyler Vaughns and you've got Trevon Sidney. I think Trevon Sidney's a hotter name right now just in terms of his spring. Um, but, you know, during the season when you get the pads on, uh, Tyler Vaughns is really the guy that's the, the guy. So you can kind of say either or there. Um, Trevon Sidney is, is, is interesting because he can play both receiver and defensive back. He could be a corner. He reminds me a lot of Macho Harris. I don't know if USC fans out there listening to the podcast remember Macho Harris, um, but he was a guy that ended up at Virginia Tech, but USC recruited pretty hard um, back in the day, and he was a guy that sort of played running back, receiver. He was a defensive back. He's, I think, playing defensive back now in, in Canada. Um, but uh, that kind of reminds me of Trevon Sidney. You, know, you kind of do a little bit of both. And I think, you know, even when you throw Mike Pittman in there, and we talk about Devin Asiasi, I think it's something important to, to point out. That athlete tag definitely blurs the lines as to, how many players you're taking at each position. Because Michael Pittman will not end up on the board as a outside linebacker uh, commit for USC or a tight end commit for USC. I, unless Scout decides to, to do that, and, and I just wouldn't see them doing it because he doesn't play the position in high school, um, he's going to probably be an athlete or a receiver. So, you know, you know, is that going to affect Devin Asiasi? No, because he's going to look at it and go, well, that guy's a receiver. He's, he's an athlete. He's not going to end up playing, you know, tight end, which is the position I'm coming into play. Um, so that's another dynamic when we start talking about the athletes and sort of that blurry line as to, well, how many receivers did USC actually recruit? We know they want four, but do they actually get guys, four guys that are going to end up on the scout commit list that are four receivers? No, they may get three guys and two athletes. They may get four guys and two athletes, and then one of those receivers that's listed as a receiver ends up playing cornerback. So that kind of opens things up. 
Um, I, I would say, you know, Jordan Elliott, Byron Marshall, uh, not Byron Marshall, Byron Murphy, uh, the cornerback from uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. I want to say Byron Marshall. Byron Marshall was a running back uh, from San Jose that ended up at Oregon. Um, pretty good little player for them. But uh, Byron Murphy, uh, the cornerback from um, – from Scottsdale, who's just, you know, a tremendous player. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I would say that's sort of that, that group. I know it's more than five, but that's sort of the group of probably the top five guys that USC is looking at. And as I said, you know, depending on need and what position they're actually coming in at, sort of adjusts whether, you know, they end up top five or top seven or top eight. No Javon McKinley? No Javon McKinley. You know, Javon McKinley... I think if you've got Josh in the tour, baby, I, I kind of question whether USC wants to get Josh McK- or um, Javon McKinley. I, 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 when he committed six two two zero five, he's sort of similar. I, I would go with jo- uh, Javon McKinley, um, probably just because he's a local recruit. He's a really proven product in terms of how much production he's had at the top level. Uh, the argument against that is that Cronus Centennial can plug guys in and can just do crazy things with that offense. I mean, we've seen them with running backs over the years. You know, a guy like J.J. Taylor, I remember last year, it was, I don't know, October I think it was, and J.J. Taylor had a crazy good game. It was like on Fox Sports West. And people immediately got on the peristyle and were asking, why isn't USC recruiting J.J. Taylor? What's going on with J.J. Taylor? Why isn't this guy at the top of them? They need J.J. Taylor. And then J.J. Taylor got hurt for the playoffs, and they plugged some other kid in who nobody can remember his name, and that kid ran for 200 yards a game. So that's why J.J. Taylor doesn't have a ton of offers. That's why USC is not jumping at J.J. Taylor to recruit him because it's really sort of a system fit and they can kind of plug guys in there. And you could make a little bit of that argument with Javon McKinley. I think Javon McKinley as an athlete sort of stands on his own. He's 6'2", 195 pounds, 200 pounds. He runs well, uh, has good routes. He's a smart kid. Um, but you could make the argument, you know, production-wise, you compare him against a guy like, you know, Josh Bebe. Josh Bebe played in the Centennial offense. You know, he would have just as many yards. So just from a, a, a style-wise argument, how many guys USC brings in? If they're looking for four. Do you want to bring in a guy that by himself, you know, sort of is a little bit of an overlap there uh, at the receiver position with, with a guy like Javon Kinley and Josh Imator Baby? Kind of sort of similar. We saw them, or we saw Josh Imator Baby at Rising Stars, sort of what he did, and, and it wasn't, it was really just reinforcing what you see on tape. Really a guy that's good across the middle was good on the slant passes, has a big body, long arms. Um, he, he's tough. He's kind of a, he's awkward. He's really an awkward type of runner and sort of an awkward type receiver in the open field. And it makes it a little difficult for people to guard him because of that. He's not a burner. I don't think he has probably the stretch speed of Jamal McKinley. I think Jamal McKinley probably gets downfield a little better. Um, and, and probably is, he's not as polished as Jamal McKinley. Uh, but you could look at him and say, well, he's, he's more raw and you can probably have more upside with a guy like that once he starts to learn routes and learn the nuances of playing receiver. So that's why he wouldn't end up in there right now. I, I, and then you kind of had, you know, Tyler Vaughn, who's going to commit uh, in August, uh, who, you know, I mean, looks like USC's a team to beat for him. I know I think Javon McKinley becomes a little redundant style-wise in that receiver class. I, I, I think you need to go find a guy that's got a little more speed. Um, of course, you could make the argument that USC's not going to do that, that they're going to go ahead and try to get Freddie Swain, who's another guy that's really more of a possession guy, um, and, and probably similar again to Javon McKinley, maybe not as similar as Immature Baby, but sort of in that vein too. So I kind of look like USC really loves their possession receivers in this class because that sort of looks like the guys are going to get. Although I will say this, Velas Jones 
showed us at the Rising Stars camp, he could be a little more than just a possession receiver. He had more burst, more separation speed than I think anybody anticipated. We saw him a couple times. And the interesting thing, and this is why it's, you know, a good genuine evaluation. We, nobody's seen Bellis Jones facially, uh, you know, out west. Everybody was at the camp. You know, the only pictures of Bellis Jones out there, he's got a helmet on. So nobody really knew what he looked like. So I'm standing there and I'm watching these guys and I'm, and I'm going, okay, I see Amari Rogers and I'm going, is that, is that Bellis Jones? I know Bellis Jones out here. And they didn't have their names on the front of the shirt. The names were on the back of the shirt, poorly written, by the way. So it was hard to see kind of who was who by just reading their names. And so you're kind of watching them, and he stood out as a guy, really around. I'm going, I don't know if that's a guy, but he's playing like he's a guy. And so that was really what Village Jones did. With his play, he forced you to figure out who is that guy. And then after the fact, he had come, you know, in a drill that was closer, and I got to see the name in the back of the jersey, and I went, oh, okay, yeah. So that is Village Jones. He is a guy. So that was one of those things that I think he's a guy that um, – Kerry Colbert with a little more speed. I, I think it's a very good comparison. He's got a lot of that Kerry Colbert sort of build and how he works his routes and his footwork. Um, you know, he, he seems to be very aware as to where the coverage is and sort of works his way open. Um, but he's got a little, little extra something. He's got a little separation speed on his deeper routes, which was nice to see. So um, he's a guy that can be a little more maybe than just the, the possession receiver like Imator Bebe or Javon McKinley or even a Tyler Vaughn's who makes circus catches and, and can just do great things in the air with his ball skills. But speed-wise, you know, I still question how much separation he's going to be able to get against defensive backs in college when he actually plays against guys that are, you know, closer to being his size and are as fast, if not faster, than him. All right. Well, Gerard, great stuff. We uh, almost went an hour for a recruiting podcast on a Tuesday. A little mix-up there, but it was cool. Uh, not a mix-up on the project. We just mixed it up a little bit. But thanks again. Mix-up on asking Gerard open-ended questions about, you know, top fives. Right, that that's open ended, and then me just mentioning one guy, and you go off and name five others. So you know that's that's, that's my own fault. I should I should know not to do that. That's how we get. We just got turned up. There's a turned up. Me and I had to change the name. Say so it, it, it goes over forty five minutes. We go from just a recruiting recruiting podcast, a recruiting podcast to being a turned up podcast. Turn up SC recruiting podcast. All right, well, great stuff. You can follow him on Twitter at Gmart Live. Stay tuned to uscfootball.com for tons of. Rising Stars coverage, of course, the opening coming up and the Thomas Graham announcement on Wednesday. So you've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. We're going to have a quick message from our Most sponsor, uh, Michael Morlin. Real Estate Moline is no Real small Estate. undertaking. Understanding the market value of your home, pricing, advertising, closing, and perhaps even selling personal property along the way are all examples of the real estate journey. And Michael Moline Real Estate has the experience to help make that journey an enjoyable one. Southern California real estate inventories are at historic lows, so there is no better time than now to sell your residential property. Whether you're moving into a bigger home or downsizing, personal property is often a component of the real estate transaction. Michael Moline Real Estate has industry expertise to help you with both your real property and your personal property as you get ready to transition. Michael Moline Real Estate specializes in properties located on the west side of Los Angeles and the southern San Fernando Valley communities. Allow Michael Moline Real Estate to give you a free comparative market analysis and home valuation so you know how much your home is worth today. Contact Michael Moline at michaelmolinerealestate.com. That's Michael, M-O-L-I. Realestate.com.
you've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 